because I always rebelled against saying I had anxiety because anxiety in my mind was about panic attacks and not wanting to go places and this, you know, this paralysis that happens. And that was not my experience. I was constantly pushing and hustling and going faster and harder. And it wasn't this, I can't do something because I'm so afraid. It was my fear was propelling me forward. Can we talk about anxiety? Even if you don't think of yourself as having anxiety or dealing with anxiety, there's a good chance you've felt pretty anxious over the last two months. I've been calling it ambient anxiety. It's just in the air. Everything is in flux. Nothing is in our control. Everyone is on edge. It's just really hard to get a solid handle on what's going on in a day-to-day or even an hour-by-hour basis. Now, your response to all this ambient anxiety might be to slow down, even to shut down. You might feel numb or a bit panicked. You might have trouble concentrating or find yourself caught up in worry. That is a very normal, very understandable response. But it's not the only way that anxiety can manifest. The other way anxiety makes itself known doesn't even look much like what we think of when we think anxiety. And that's how I initially responded to the anxiety of our present moment. I'm Tara McMullen, and you're listening to What Works, the show that digs deep into what's really working to run and grow a small business today, from how we market and manage to how we prime our mindset for success. This month on the show, we've been talking about finding support as an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurship can be a lonely endeavor, and the mental health challenges that many of us face don't make it any easier to feel like you're not alone, which leads me back to how I found myself, quote unquote, coping with my anxiety a few weeks ago. Now, instead of shutting down, I turned on. I worked long, hyperproductive days. I created new things. I hosted live events. I checked in with friends and supported our members and clients. My anxiety led me to over-functioning. My subconscious was trying to work my way through the stress and anxiety. I was trying to control the uncontrollable. That burst of anxious over-functioning led to a complete collapse. And I'm now trying to get back into a more manageable and gentle groove. But frankly, I'm feeling pretty rotten. I've talked to a lot of people who have been living a similar story, which really isn't that surprising to me. Because in the before times, I was having a lot of conversations that started with, hey, can I tell you about high-functioning anxiety? You see, I started learning about high-functioning anxiety from our guest today, Nancy Jane Smith. The way Nancy described anxiety was nothing like what I thought of anxiety to be, but it was everything about my experience of the world. Now, I've shared on the podcast before that only recently did I realize I was living with chronic anxiety. I'd always identified as dealing with chronic depression, and I didn't recognize my normal for me mental state was one of high anxiety. But the more I've learned from Nancy, the more I've learned about my own brand of anxiety. Now, Nancy Jane Smith is an expert in high-functioning anxiety. Nancy is trained as a licensed professional counselor and therapeutic coach. She's the author of The Happier Approach book and the host of The Happier Approach podcast. And she lives every day with high-functioning anxiety. People with high-functioning anxiety respond to anxiety by overperforming, by showing up to do all the things, by trying to be so good that nothing bad can happen. 
And that's pretty much me in a nutshell. And it's absolutely how I started off this whole crisis. I figured that I could perform my way into sanity and certainty. Well, listener, I could not, and neither can you. Now, Nancy and I recorded this interview before the canceled events, the lockdowns, and the economic uncertainty. So we don't talk about this collective experience explicitly. But if you listen between the lines, you'll hear it. It's there. We might not have known it was coming yet, but everything we talk about applies to this unique period of time because high-functioning anxiety is so dang predictable. In this interview, Nancy and I talk about how she thrives with high-functioning anxiety as a business owner, how she structured her business to support her with this challenge, and who she relies on for the support she needs. Whether high-functioning anxiety is your normal too, or whether you're listening as someone who is interested in the many ways we find what works for our unique situations, I think this episode will be really enlightening. Now, let's find out what works for Nancy Jane Smith. Nancy Jane Smith, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so excited to be here. This is going to be awesome. Yes, it is. And I am also excited to have you. So we're going to talk about a subject that you and I know very well. I know it through you, but it immediately resonated with me. And that is high-functioning anxiety. So how did you first learn about high-functioning anxiety? Well, I, so I wrote, um, so the whole story is kind of, it was a long trajectory, but my dad died and that kind of, you know, brought me to my knees and was just a real come to Jesus moment for me. And I had a hard time doing my business after he died. And so, you know, I decided I was going to write a book and, um, (laughs) I decided as you do, as you do. And I decided, um, what I realized with my dad is he had a very loud inner critic. Mm-hmm. And even though he was a very successful person, and not just because he was my father, do I say that, but he was a very successful person, both professionally and personally, he still felt like he missed the boat. And like he was, he died beating himself up. And I was like, I can't keep living like this. I can't, I need to help people with this issue. This is my issue. And so I wrote a book about that inner critic and how to, um, decrease it. And I realized while doing a book tour and talking to other people that everyone has this really loud monger, as I call it, but some people have a brutally loud monger who is just running the show all the freaking time and they mm-hmm. just can't get away from it. And so that was percolating in my mind. And then I happened to read Sarah Wilson's book, First We Make the Beast Beautiful which is an incredible book about her struggle with anxiety. And she has a very severe form of anxiety. But I really related to a lot of what she talked about. And it was the first time in my life I was like, even though I had worked with people with anxiety professionally, was like, hey, I think I really have this anxiety thing. Like, I think <laughs> this is me. And and right around that same time, I had um, learned about this term, high-functioning anxiety. Because I always rebelled against saying I had anxiety because anxiety in my mind was about panic attacks and not wanting to go places and this, you know, this paralysis that happens. And that was not my experience. I was constantly pushing and hustling and going faster and harder. And it wasn't this, I can't do something because I'm so afraid. It was my fear was propelling me forward. And that's why I fell in love with the term because I could just so relate and I could see it in my clients. 
Yeah. I mean, as soon as you started talking about it and I was introduced to the term through you, it was very much the same experience as, you know, I did not recognize myself as someone who had anxiety. I thought my issue was always just, just depression, <laughs> right? just, just chronic depression for most of my life. It's not a big deal. Um, <laughs> and I really thought I was in a really good place with that. And then, you know, as I heard more from you, as Sean and I started talking about it more, it's like, oh, no, I, I have dealt with anxiety my whole damn <laughs> life. It just doesn't sound like or, or or present the same way that we kind of see it conventionally or in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like this idea of what it sounds like, I'd love to know for you, what does high anxiety, high functioning anxiety sound like in your head? Um, it's more of a, it's, I can really... Now I think about it's more in my body. So it's more of this Mm. amped up feeling of, um, of, of, and my thoughts are racing. Like I can't really get a grip. And so on what's in front of me. And so what I do is I just jump from thing to thing, to thing, to thing, to thing. And, um, so I'm a, a queen of multitasking. I am, and so when I know I'm in a high anxiety thing, I'll be like, okay, so today I need to write a blog. So I'll sit down to write a blog. And then two seconds later, when my monger has said to me, you can't write this blog. Who do you think you are? You're a complete idiot. This is never going to work. Oh my gosh, no one's going to read this. Your business is going to fail. Blah, 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 blah. Then I'm up. Oh, let me go check Facebook. Let me check on Instagram. Maybe I'll get some inspiration here. Oh, there was this article I wanted to read. And then I'm all over the place. And um, so that's a big way it shows up in my day-to-day life that I can't concentrate and focus on anything. So I can get a lot done that's minutiae stuff, but anything Mm -hmm. that's really propelling my business forward that requires some depth of thinking, that's a big piece where I struggle. That makes a ton of sense. Okay. So similarly, can you tell me about a time when high functioning anxiety made it difficult for you to run your business or move things forward? So ironically, I would say currently right now, high functioning anxiety is really, um, it's been a, it's been in the forefront of my mind, not just because it's what I talk about, but in my own life in like, okay, we need to get a grip. Um, because I have a lot going on in my personal life. My husband and Mm -hmm. I both have some health issues that have been, have hit the forefront and my business is really starting to gel. Like I'm loving what I'm, I'm doing. I'm getting more clients. I'm, you know, it, everything is kind of clicking. And for a long time, and this is what high functioning anxiety does. It tells you, oh, once you get there, then we can be done. Like then mm-hmm. we can relax. So once we get, once we start getting regular, you know, making good money and getting regular clients and talking about this and find our niche then everything will be fine. And so, but that isn't the case, obviously. And um, so I'm recognizing now how my monger just keeps getting louder and louder and louder. Oh, so you made it here. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not going to be able to sustain this. Like this isn't going to last and people are going to figure out that you're a fraud and a fake and and all that stuff starts coming up even more. So I, it's kind of that idea, you know, you'll hear about in the woo-woo world, <laughs> the, you know, leveling you hit your upper limit. Yes. Um, something around that. I don't know if it's that, but it's something around that. But really for me, it's the idea of I need to push and be more exposed and my monger and uh, my anxiety are really keeping me from doing that. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. So a lot of what you just said, I think probably would sound familiar to 
a large percentage of our audience as imposter complex. Mm -hmm. What's the relationship between high functioning anxiety and imposter complex? They're very similar. Um, But I think anxiety is more of that. I think everyone has an imposter complex and especially women culturally uh, that happens. But the anxiety piece is a different level of imposter Mm -hmm. complex. Um, So not everyone, I think a vast majority of people have imposter complex. Not everyone has it in the form of anxiety because the anxiety, it it isn't just, it's a full body. Oh my gosh, bad things are going to happen. We're all going to die. This is going to be, you know, terrible. It's a full body headaches, nausea, unable to control the ruminating thoughts. It's not just self-doubt. And it's not just having a a monger. It is an intense full body experience of I'm going to be found out as a fraud and I need to really protect myself. That fight or flight idea comes in. And that's where I think the difference between high functioning anxiety, you know, I always, people will push back and say, oh, so you're saying I have low functioning anxiety. (laughs) And, and I'm not, and, and I kind of am, but th- that's because we put the f- high functioning as a good thing right? and low functioning is a bad thing, but really it's just the response to your anxiety. So my response to anxiety, which puts me in fight or flight is to fight. Right. And somebody else's response to that is to flee. And mm-hmm. that's just the difference in how we respond. Oh, that is Okay. I've not heard you say it quite like that before. I don't think. No, and probably I, not. It's a new yeah. thing. It's new. Let's, let's write <laughs> that down for the future. Um, <laughs> um, because that makes a ton of sense to me. Like, yes, absolutely. When my anxiety starts, I am in fight mode. And I know plenty of people who it's the exact opposite. When that anxiety starts, mm-hmm. it is flee, get out of this scene, uh-huh. go do, go do something more comfortable, go do something, yeah. um, go do anything else other than mm-hmm. what has just provoked that response. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love that you point out that fighting isn't better than fleeing. It's just, they're, they're two sides of the same coin when it comes to how we respond yeah. to anxiety. Yeah. So, so great. Um, Okay, so you've got a number of tools that you uh, work on with clients who are dealing with high functioning anxiety. But I would love to hear about, yes, I want to hear about those tools, but I want to hear how you use them. So can you tell us about a couple of the tools that you have um, in your toolkit for dealing with uh, high functioning anxiety and how you use them? Well, the two things I found in researching to write my book... um, that I didn't want to find was that it is, <laughs> I was really kind of bummed about it was we have to be acknowledging our feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is a big one for me because when you have anxiety, a big one that I practice all the time and I have like a list of feelings that I keep near my um, desk. Uh, Cause it's a, um, when I have anxiety with my anxiety, I tend to, I can be, there could be a lot going on around me, but I am just like up in the anxiety. So it's kind of like I live in my head and I'm freaking out in my head. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. But underneath that is fear or sadness or something's going on that I don't want to deal with. And so I really have to challenge myself to be like, what are you feeling? And then what happens is I'll say, okay, wow, I'm feeling really sad. I, you know, I have this arthritis and I can't do as much as I used to do. And it's really weighing on me. And immediately then will come in the voice that says, well, who are you to complain? Why are you feeling sad about this? That's mm-hmm. so stupid. You don't have, 
you know, there are people who have it so much worse than you or whatever. And so the the next thing I really practice is being kind. And mm. that's a big portion of what I do because for so long, um, I ran my life by shaming myself. So it wasn't, I could not talk kindly to myself because I thought I won't get anything done if I talk kindly to myself. Because again, I motivate by fleeing, you know, by fighting. So I'm going to fight myself. And so recognizing I needed to be my own best friend was was a game changer for me. So the first thing was the feelings piece that I that I didn't want to find. And the second piece was getting into your body, you know, like really grounding in my body. And and that is something that's very, very hard for me to do because I live in my head. And yeah. the idea of going from this highly anxious place where I feel like I get a lot done and grounding into my body is just the last thing I freaking want to do. And so how I have set that up is I've really embraced the, um, is it the Pomodoro, the 25 minutes where mm -hmm. you work? I really have embraced that. And that has been a game changer for me to do the 25 minutes and then do the five minute and the five minutes is getting to my body. So that is getting up, moving around, doing something where I'm intentionally getting into my body. Because it used to be I do 25 minutes and I do five minutes of being on Facebook and yeah. then you know, 25 minutes back. But I was never getting into my body. I was just all in my head. So that has really changed things. And then I the other that. one I need to add is doing yeah. one thing at a time. Mm. So I will regularly practice that even in even not just necessarily in work stuff, but like when I'm cooking to make sure I chop everything first. And then, you know, yeah, that's a it's a total game changer because I'm the master of, oh, let me start, you know, I'll start grilling the chicken and then I'll do the onions real quick over here while I'm, you know, making sure that doesn't burn. Like I feed off of that stuff. And but when I can slow myself down and do one thing at a time, it's so much more enjoyable. Yeah, that's such a great point. Um, you know, for me, like I I used to hear this get into your body thing and think, I do not know what that means. And I, <laughs> do not know, I do not know how that will help me. And then, of course, I started to get into my body and I was like, oh, <laughs> so that's what that means. And oh, my God, does that help? Um, but I was having a conversation with Sean the other day and I said, you know, while it used to be that while I'm working out in the mornings, I used to really multitask. Like I used to really fixate on work in between sets, right? Like mm -hmm. I'll squat for 30 seconds and I'll have two minutes and I'll be like, what can, you know, work, 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 right. work, work in my head. <laughs> and I've noticed in the last six months or so that I am able to be now much more present uh, and more focused in between those times instead of letting my brain go to work. And now that you've said this, I am going to be more intentional about mm -hmm. that and really focusing on just being there. And if what I'm supposed to be doing right now is resting, gosh, darn it, Tara, you should rest instead mm -hmm. of replying to people on Instagram or oh, thinking totally, about yeah. mm -hmm. your next campaign. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's huge. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd love to hear more about how you structure your day with the Pomodoro technique, though, too, because uh, I think it's one thing to say, I, you know, I work 25 minutes on and then five minutes off and I mm -hmm. get into my body. But what does that look like sort of over the course of the day? How do you structure your work day? So it is just I so I do the pick three things, you know, what are the three things mm -hmm. you're going to focus on? And um, and that's something else that is just getting realistic about that's really been a game changer for me is starting and ending the day with planning. Yes. Which is, you know, I would, I'm, I'm a, 
with if my anxiety is running the show, I, I got to get into work and I got to jump and got to do everything. You know, I'm going to start with emails and just see where the day takes me. And um, and I and I need to have the planning to really focus, which still is hard for me to do. But um, and so then it's allotting. OK, if I got to write a blog, that's going to take me three 25 minute times. And so I, you know, I allot those times at the, at the beginning of the day so that I'm not just like, okay, I got to write a blog. There's one 25 minute. I got to write my podcast. There's another 25 minute, you know, like really trying to be realistic about how many of these it's going to take. And then the, the hard, the hardest part about the Pomodoro technique is getting up at the 25 mm-hmm. minutes, you know, because sometimes I'm just getting into it. And then I'm like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll just keep, I'll just do another one. I'll just keep working. and um and that always bites me in the butt because then I end up getting more tired and more drained if I don't take the break. So even though I'm like, I'm in the middle of this, I need to just keep going. I will be like, just then just get up for a minute and stretch and come back. Um, and I always end up taking the five minutes. As soon as I stand up, I'm off doing something else. And then the other challenge is making sure that it's just five minutes. That, yes. You know. <laughs> that I'm not then going downstairs and talking to my husband and what's all what you watching on TV. And, you know, um, so making sure that I stick with that. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. You'll hear more from Nancy in just a minute, but first a word from our what works partners. What works is brought to you by mighty networks. People want to connect, but our time, capacity, and bandwidth for yet another video call or Facebook group is extremely limited. People want support, and we also want to know we're talking to people who share our goals and our values. And people want to learn, and we want to collaborate while we do it. Of course, I know you want these things for your customers too. You want to connect them to each other, you want them to feel supported, and you want them to learn and grow. Mighty Networks makes it easy for you to help your customers do all of these things all in one place. When you start a Mighty Network, you make it easy for your customers to connect to each other, to support each other, and to learn from each other. And of course, your Mighty Network also makes it easy for you to connect with, support, and teach your customers too. Use your Mighty Network as a private social network to help them communicate and collaborate. Use your Mighty Network as a learning management system to help you deliver high-quality online courses. Use your Mighty Network as a support hub to help you answer questions and offer insight. And of course, use your Mighty Network as a payment processor so your customers can easily pay you for all of the value you're creating. Get started with a Mighty Network free of charge by going to MightyNetworks.com. I also want to tell you a bit more about Money and the New Economy, an online gathering the What Works Network is hosting June 10th to 12th. This gathering is really a celebration of how much we each have learned about money and our relationship to it as small business owners. And it's a celebration of how much there is still to learn. It's a celebration of how much things are changing. And while it might be scary, the opportunities we have to claim a new relationship to money and the chance we have to build stronger communities because of that new relationship. Now, my own relationship to money has changed drastically over the time I've been in business. In the beginning, I was working for latte money. Then I realized I could bring in more in a month than I used to in a year at my old job. 
And then I had to get serious about where that money was going. I had to learn that the money the business earned was not my money. I had to learn how to invest in people, in their salaries and their benefits. I had to learn how to take real risks and deal with the fallout when they didn't work. I had to learn that more money isn't necessarily better and that running a business that works really well can mean steady, sustainable revenue instead of exponential growth. Over the last 10 years, everything I thought I knew about money has changed. And over the last eight weeks, I've questioned even more about what I thought I had learned about money in that time. That's why we're gathering smart, experienced small business owners like you for an extended conversation about money and the new economy. This gathering is designed to connect you to people who are thinking about and acting on money differently. We're founders, creators, service providers, designers, artists, educators, and trainers. We operate businesses of one, as well as businesses that employ small teams. Many of us have been running our businesses for five years or more. When you join us for this event, you'll be learning from our speakers, of course, and you'll also be learning from other attendees. You'll share your experiences and we'll all learn from you too. Money and the New Economy is a live and interactive experience with an opportunity to learn, discuss, reflect, and challenge yourself. We kick things off on June 10th with a welcome reception so you can prepare for the rest of the experience and get to know others who are participating. Then on Thursday, June 11th, we'll meet together for the full day to talk pricing, money mindset, habits, business finances, and more. And then on Friday, June 12th, we'll come back together one more time to debrief in our closing reception. There are no travel expenses, no jet lag, and hopefully minimal childcare arrangements. To learn more about money and the new economy and grab your ticket to the gathering, go to explorewhatworks.com slash money. We do have need-based tickets available, so go to explorewhatworks.com slash money and get your ticket today. Okay, so let's talk about how you've structured your business to deal with high-functioning anxiety because you have a a long professional career as a counselor Mm -hmm. and um, you've transitioned into coaching Mm -hmm. and you've also transitioned your coaching business in a unique way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd love for you to tell people more about how your business is actually structured today and how that structure helps you uh, kind of live with and thrive with Mm high-functioning anxiety. So it's interesting because I, so, so how I do my business now is I work with clients instead of doing the hourly sessions that I had done for years. Now I work with clients on the app Voxer. So clients can contact me anytime between uh, 9 a.m. They can contact me anytime. I respond to them only between 9 a.m. and 6 p.m. and just try to get back to them as quickly as I can. And if they get, if they, sometimes if I'm, you know, busy at six, I'll, I'll have to go past that time to make sure I answer their last box. But, um, and so a lot of people have said to me, oh, doesn't that like get your anxiety hopping that you may be on call at any time and blah, blah, blah. And, and I really think it, which makes sense. Like I get why people would ask that, but I really think it has kind of helped me embrace that anxiety because, Mm. um, I love it. I love working with clients this way, mostly because it reminds me why I do what I do. Every time I touch base with a client, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is what I'm doing. You know, it, and it's quick. It's, 
it's educational. You know, I'm, I'm touching base with clients in a quick way. So that supports my quick, let's get this in and out. I'm giving them practical, actionable advice. And then they come back at me with whatever questions they have. And it's like, we're working it. And it's really fun versus in an hour, I would feel so much pressure. Like I got to give them something great for this hour. And I really got to be on it. And it would just send my monger through the roof on the pressure I felt. And I think the pressure they felt that they needed to be maximizing the hour and and they didn't really want to go there because the one thing with high-functioning anxiety I was finding with clients is they wanted to come into the office and be like, I'm doing great. Everything's great. Everything you're teaching me, I'm totally doing. I'm amazing. I got this. Because mm-hmm. with high-functioning anxiety, you don't want anyone to see a sweat. You, you know, and so getting them to take down that barrier was hard. And so that's what I love about Voxing is we're really in there. We're really doing the work. And it's and it's also challenged me. It's helped me with my own work because I got to be more on it. I need to be practicing mm-hmm. what I preach because I can't be talking to clients multiple times a day and not be living it. Yeah. So that's been really helpful to me too. I love that. I That makes me think about boundaries too. And it makes was, me yeah. wonder um, wh- how boundaries come into play with working with high fun- functioning anxiety. That's been a big piece and, uh, and a big piece for me to learn. Uh, Cause you know, I want to help and I want to be there for people and, and all that stuff. And so a lot of times, you know, I'll, I will, I have to turn off the app so mm. so when the hours are over, I shut off the notifications, I turn off the app so that I don't hear and see it. And um, and then sometimes on Monday morning when I open it up, I'm like, oh my gosh, they've, you know, this person has voxed five times over the weekend and I'll start flipping out. But I'm like, I'm I set the rules. I'm really honest. I'm really I tell them I turn off the vox, I tell them that they cannot reach me. Um, you know, if they have an emergency, they need to email me because I'm checking emails, but that mm. has not happened. No one has had an emergency and we define what an emergency is and what that would look like. Like, so it's really helped me to lay a lot of ground rules and ground rules and foundation for what it needs to look like. Mm, I love that. And I just, I, I want to, for anyone listening, who's like, really resonates with the idea that, oh, doesn't that make you more anxious? <laughs> doesn't that like really, really get, get your juices moving in the wrong direction? <laughs> um, I have had a similar experience with getting this second company off the ground, Yellow House Media, with, you know, doing podcast production too, where um, we do do hour long sessions with clients, um, as as you know, um, mm-hmm. every month. And at the same time, a large part of what I do is respond to people in between sessions mm-hmm. and do Loom videos for them, which is something I never thought I ever wanted to do ever. <laughs> but it is so freeing to have a question presented to me. Three minutes later, I've created an amazing video for them explaining my thought process. They're wowed. They know they can always come with a question. I know I can always quickly come up with an answer that over delivers. It just everything is more at ease. And that is an amazing realization for someone who's not only anxiety has anxiety around constantly responding to client needs, uh-huh. but also has anxiety around like all of the boundaries around client needs too. Uh-huh. Um, so being able to find a balance for that, I think is, is really incredible. Um, 
Okay, so we're talking about support this month and and Mm -hmm. how we find support as entrepreneurs. And so I'm curious for you, what kind of support have you found to be most helpful for you as a business owner and specifically someone who is working with high functioning anxiety? Well, hands down, my my husband is, you know, a huge support. And I'm fortunately, you know, because of his disability, he's home. And so I get to talk to him a lot, which is great. Um, Not to put a plug in for what works, but what works (laughs) has been phenomenal for me. Um, Just because I can go on to that forum and get insight without having to really, you know, I don't have to engage. And there's a lot of information there that I can get. And I can engage. And Mm -hmm. so something that has, that is a challenge for me is reaching out. It just is, I need to have all the answers. I need to know it all. And, and I'm an introvert, so I don't really want to reach out. And that has really uh, been something this year that I realized my tendency was not to reach out to peers, but to reach out. Someone else knows the answer. Like, I have to find the answer from someone else because I don't trust my own instincts. Um, So I always was hiring gurus and people to support me in that way. And I just, you know, A, wasted a lot of money and B, it didn't help because it wasn't, they weren't challenging. They were giving me an answer. They weren't challenging me to find the answer within. So that I made a stop to that. And I was only if someone is really helping me get to know me, would that be better? Mm -hmm. And so really challenging myself to reach out to people and and ask for help. And the other piece is one of the problems I kept having when I would reach out, especially locally, and I'd ask people, you know, to go for coffee or whatever is, oh my gosh, the coaching world just loves to give advice. They just love to tell you what to do. Let me solve your problem. Let me, you know, and sometimes I just want to share I got a problem and I, and help me figure it out. Not what should, here's what you should do. Um, You know, like the number of times people would say to me, I would be like, oh my gosh, I'm really stressed. And then they'd say, so what are you doing? You know, what brings you joy? What are you doing to care for yourself? And then I would give an answer and they'd be like, no, really, what are you doing? Like as if it wasn't good enough, unless I was doing what they said I should do. So that really, um, that's a common, that's a real problem for me in asking for support and, and getting advice back. And that's one thing I love about the what works is that that isn't the case. And I also joined the mastermind and that has helped because that isn't the case there. And so really being discerning about who I'm sharing what with and the information they're going to give me back and what I need. And I think what if I wasn't aware of my feelings and aware of getting into my body and trusting myself, I couldn't, I couldn't ask for what I need. Yeah. Um, first off, I appreciate the plug. Second, <laughs> um, I didn't, I, I, we didn't, uh, we didn't talk about that. Beforehand. No, we didn't. <laughs> uh, I want to circle back as we start to wrap up here. Um, you mentioned toward the beginning that you, have a voice in your head that you call the monger. Mm-hmm. Others might know it as the inner critic. And it's the, it's the thing that's telling you you're not good enough. You're not working hard enough. You're going to trip up at, at any moment. Um, I know that there are two other voices in your head, um, one that you are trying to cultivate and one that feels like it can be nice sometimes, <laughs> but is also problematic. Can you talk to us about those other two voices? Yeah. So when I wrote The Happier Approach, which is the book that talks about these voices, I really, so I wrote about the monger. And then the piece that in a lot of 
um, work, you know, because I'm certainly not the only person that talks about inner critic stuff. The piece that's in a lot of the other work is love yourself no matter what. And Mm -hmm. that's always the advice. And for me, even though I'm a was even though I'm a therapist, I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Love yourself no matter what. Like, how can you possibly do that and still be striving? It just did not make sense to me. And I recognize that I was um and a lot of my clients were using this voice I call the BFF because I think about like my high school BFF who is up for anything. She's she you know will support me doing whatever, but she's really doesn't always have my best interest at heart. She's kind of petty. She's a she's judgmental. She's you know she's the I actually my best friend is kind of the BFF voice in my in my life. <laughs> you know, so if I call her to complain about someone or to vent about something should be like, Oh my gosh, they're totally wrong. You're totally right. We need to go. Let's go cut a bitch. I mean, this is inappropriate, you know, like just, <laughs> just really in there, <laughs> in there fighting for you, but it's not helpful. You know, yes, this is the voice that is like, go ahead, have that third glass of wine. You deserve it. You had a bad day. And then the next morning you wake up with a hangover and your monger's like, what were you thinking? Blah, blah, blah. So that is where anxiety lives. Those two voices going back and forth, back and forth. Mm. Um, Keep working, keep plugging. You're a loser. They're going to figure it out. Oh, let's take a break and not do anything. And then we fight between those two voices. So the third voice is the biggest fan. And that's the voice I say, that is what I call the voice of kindness and wisdom. So rather than saying, love yourself no matter what, which obviously is the goal. I mean, I'm not saying that's wrong, just saying it's really hard. Um, The idea is to be kind to yourself. So when I'm struggling and I've hit a place of like this morning, I had this interview. um, I have a a client later today. I have um, something else this evening. It's a, it's a big day for me. And my monger is like, who do you think you are? This isn't going to go well, like that idea. And so my biggest fan steps in to say, this is going to be a hard day. There's a lot happening, but we got this. Let's just do one thing at a time. Let's sit down. Let's prepare. What do we need to know for the first thing? Let's take it one thing at a time. And that idea of just patience and calm and kind kindness is really where that voice is coming from. And she holds my feet to the fire. She isn't like, and then at the end of the day, we're going to have a big, you know, pizza party with lots of beer and we're going to do whatever we want. It's kind of like, no, we're going to, what do we need at the end of the day? That's nourishing. Maybe that is pizza. Maybe it's a big salad, whatever, but I'm going to be paying attention to myself to give myself that. Nancy, what are you excited about right now? I am excited about that this topic is resonating with people um, because I think this is a real issue in, especially for women. And I am so excited about continuing to talk about this message and working with clients on Voxer. There is so much in my business right now that is clicking. And I think that's because i finally got out of my own freaking way and was and finally stopped listening to the gurus and was like, what really, what are my values? What resonates with me? And having the guts to do it a little differently. I love that. Nancy Jane Smith, thank you so much for sharing your own story of high functioning anxiety, all of the tools that you use, how you've structured your business uh, to support you and and just really the, the support networks that you use uh, as a whole. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was great. Find out more about Nancy Jane Smith at live-happier.com and find the Happier Approach podcast wherever you listen to What Works. 
Next week, you'll hear from Sharin Eskandani, the founder of Wholehearted Coaching. Sharin shares her story of getting her dream part, performing in Carmen at the Met, and then realizing that she still wasn't happy. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt, and our production coordinator is Kristen Runbeck. Find over 270 more episodes of What Works and sign up for our free weekly newsletter full of ideas, inspiration, and reflections on building a business that works better at explorewhatworks.com. <laughs>